Yeah, please. Okay, good morning. Lots of good testimonies, lots of good things happening. Lots of bad things happening in the world today, isn't there? Oh, my word. Have you had your head up? You know, you, sometimes you feel like ostriches. You know, you want to bury your head. But you have to look up once in a while and look around and see what's going on and being informed. But I truly believe if we look at the different prophecies and what eschatologists teach, we are truly in the last days. And we're winding, winding up and winding down, aren't we? And it can be a sad time. But the reality is, the Lord Jesus said, when you see these days upon you, look up and rejoice, for your redemption draws near. So we need to be people that are looking up and not looking down and just looking at all the circumstances, right? And we need to look at them. We need to see what's going on in the world. We need to be informed, but we also need to be rejoicing in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this morning we give you the praise and glory. As it says in the Psalms that the nations, you laugh at the nations. They rant and they rail at you. They, they, but you laugh at the nations. We thank you, Lord, that you are ultimately in control of all things. You are in control of the end and the seasons. And though, so therefore, Father, we give you all the praise and glory. But, Lord, we also know that you have instructed us to pray, that things, certain things will not happen unless we pray. So I pray and ask, Father, that you will make myself and you will make every person here and a part of this church a part of the Christian community to be people that truly understand and have a heart desire to pray. That is my prayer, Lord, that each person here would become a real prayer warrior. I know it's difficult sometimes, but Lord, life is a whole lot more difficult without prayer. So we ask you to teach us this morning how to pray. And we ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, I want to take just a few minutes to talk about Israel because Israel's in the news today, right? And there's a scripture, I actually didn't look it up, but it says, Jerusalem, I think it's in Isaiah perhaps, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou hast become a burdensome stone to the nations. Hasn't it? I mean, even today, for 1,800 years, Israel was just a desert. It was just a desert. Mark Twain visited there in the late 1800s. He says it's the closest thing to hell I've ever seen. Because it was just a desolate, few Bedouin shepherds and things. But today, as the Bible has prophesied, that Israel is blossoming like a rose. Israel is blossoming like a rose. And that was prophesied way back. So, okay, big deal. Israel's prophes- Israel is, is blossoming. Sure, they irrigated the place. Well... There's a lot of other factors that go along with Israel. There's a wonderful book here by, that I'm reading by Gordon Lindsay, who started Christ for the Nations. Not Hell Lindsay, but Gordon Lindsay. Israel's 48 signs of Christ's return. And you know that when Israel became a nation, and was it 1948 or 47? 48. May 15th, was it? I think it was May 15th, 1948, became a nation. And you know, in Isaiah 66, Isaiah says, Can a nation be born in a day? 
Can a nation be born in a day? And Israel was born in a day, wasn't it? After 1900 some years, 1800 some years, close to 19, it was nothing but a desolate place. It now becomes a nation. And God, through prophecy, as he prophesied, many, I don't have time to go through all this because I'm just giving you a little, a little synopsis of this, but there's prophecy after prophecy where God will gather the people back to, to, to Jerusalem and to Israel. Isn't that amazing? In our lifetime, we saw that. So I know people will say, oh, people have been saying this for generations. In fact, Peter talks about it. They've mockers. They've mocked and said, oh, the Lord's coming. Yes, yes, yes. You keep saying that. You keep saying that. But one very significant thing that has taken place in our lifetime, some of our lifetimes, is that Israel has now become reestablished as a nation. How can that be? How can that be that a people can be dispersed for, for nearly 2,000 years and brought back and bring their culture back to the land? We support, our church supports a, a, a couple of people, PJ and Kathy Hanley, who some of you met, which are, I think, coming this winter to teach on eschatology again, the end times. And they have a, a church in Israel, several churches in Israel. So we've been helping supporting them a little bit. And what they have are people in their church, they're Jewish people, but they're Spanish-speaking Jews that have come back. And so they've had Russian-speaking Jews. Russian Jews have come back, and Spanish Jews, and American Jews, and people, Jews that have been dispersed all over the world have come back to Israel. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? I mean, just to stop and think about what, how could this ever happen naturally? Well, a couple more things here I'll just share with you. You know, I asked somebody one time, what was the significance of World War I and World War II and biblical prophecy? And they said, well, because I've given us a lot of thought, because Jesus said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And World War I and World War II were, were extremely significant. And they said, well, one thing I can say is World War I was the beginning of Israel becoming a nation. Or it was the start of it. It was part of the start. And World War II, when Hitler, a.k.a. Haman, tried to destroy the Jews. You know what I'm talking about, Haman? In Esther's time, he wanted to destroy the Jews. He ended up being hung. Well, Hitler tried the same thing. And out of that... 19, from 1945 to 1948, three years, the Jews, instead of being exterminated, have now become a nation. And there is no Arab, there is no Arab, there is no Russian, there is no one on this earth that will be able to take that from them. It ain't going to happen because the book says it won't happen. There'll be no caliphates set up there. There'll be none of that stuff. It will be God's hand upon that nation. And so in the news today, as we read in Isaiah, I think Isaiah is describing today. Let me read it for you. Isaiah says that Isaiah is one of the most amazing prophets. In Isaiah 60, 59, I'll just read part of it, and it says, verse 14, 59, 14, And justice is turned back, 
I'm going to have to, I have to go back a little further. 13. And transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words, and justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the streets and uprightness cannot enter, yet truth is lacking. And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Truth is fallen in the streets. When we listen to the news reports, what do you hear? You hear a lot of lies, don't you? If you really are in tune to what's really happening, there's a lot of lying, there's a lot of agenda, there's a lot of manipulation going on in many of the news because there is an ideology that they have. It's a worldly ideology. Now, where are you going with all this, you might say? What's this all about? Well, we are in a spiritual war, aren't we? We are in a spiritual battle. And we cannot deny that, that we are in a different time, in a different season. As I said last week, it felt like, um, I feels like I'm Rip Van Winkle and I just woke up into a whole new world. From a world from ten to a decade ago, a world of Christianity a decade ago, a world 20 years ago, it is completely changed. The political climate of the world today is completely changed. The whole world is in an upheaval, isn't it? God have mercy. God have mercy. You know, one thing I'll read, I'm going to go back to this. One thing about Israel, this I find very amazing, is that World War I, let me read this out of here, I've got it in a note. But World War I, this is very significant, I think, many theologians think this, but World War I ended at 11 o'clock on the morning of November 11th, 1918. That's just a few weeks after my mother was born. The 11th hour of the 11th day, just 11 days after the surrender of the Turks, of the 11th month of the year 1918, just 11 months after General Allenby entered Jerusalem, on the 11th day of December, 1917. Isn't that interesting that all the 11s are matching up here? All these 11s. So what does that mean? 11, 11, 11, 11. What's 11? Well, many feel that God was saying this is the 11, beginning of the 11th hour. The beginning of the 11th hour is a prophetic sign that this is the beginning of the 11th hour. Interesting, isn't it? Quite, quite significant. And now we are seeing in 2014 and 2015 the blood moons. Now, we are, there's always blood moons. What's significant about these blood moons is that the first one falls on Passover. It did, 2014. And then the next one is on Sukkot in October. And then 2015, I have it written down here, <clears throat> these blood moons are falling in 2015. On September, I think, 13 is my writing, Rosh Hashanah, and September 28th on the Sukkot. So four blood moons, and there's other blood moons, there's other eclipses, but there's four blood moons on major Jewish holidays. Do you think that could be a sign? Well, people say yes, that is definitely a sign. Theologians, eschatologists, that is definitely a sign. 
So we're living in another age, folks. We're living in a time that's going to be very exciting, very perilous. But it's a time that we need to be aware of things. We need to be aware of the times and seasons. Do you have a scripture? Do you want to read? Okay. Aware of the times and seasons that we live in. So a serious time, yes, but a time that we can still be joyful as well, right? I know nobody wants to, we just want to go about our daily life from day to day and have fun and eat, drink, and be merry and, you know, be married and, you know, and just have a good time in life. But we are a generation that's been called to a very serious time, to live through a very serious time. So we can't take that lightly. We can still rejoice. We can still have fun. We can still do things. But this needs to be a center of our focus in life. See, it's not like it was 10 years ago, five years ago. The times are a-changing, aren't they not? The times are a-changing. Dylan was right. They've always been changing, but we're in a new season of life. We're in a new season, a new epoch, a new time of that we have to be on guard and we have to be diligent. So I'm saying that to say that you and I, we need to get our life. If we're not really walking close with God, if we've kind of drifted off from him, we need to get our life back in place with him. Seriously, these are serious times. God is going to thin out those who are in love with him and deeply committed with those who are just kind of along for the ride. It's coming back to our first love, as it says in Revelation. Didn't the Lord say in Revelation, didn't he say to one of the churches that your hearts are cold? You've lost your first love. Was it Ephesus? You've lost your first love. So let's talk about that for a moment. If you know Jesus and you've come to Jesus, when you first came to him, if you've really come to know him, had an experience with him, not just cerebral, but if you've had a real experience with Jesus, you fell in love with him. Just like if, you've, if you're married or you have a boyfriend, girlfriend, you have, you fell in love with that person. That's all you could think of. That person was just took up your time. Oh, man, if I walk down this hallway in the high school, I think she gets out of class, I might bump into her. Remember those days? Anybody remember those days? I just might bump into her because I know she gets out of, I know she gets out of French class at such and such a time. But what was it like when you first came to Christ? What was that passion you had when you first came to Him? And you prayed and you read your Bible. You know what? You even read your Bible. You even read it. And you were excited about it. And you had questions about it. And you wanted to be in church. And you weren't out getting high or getting plastered anymore. You wanted to be in church. Because there's life there. And you prayed. And you had faith to believe God for what he was promising. You'd read things in the Bible and say, God, you said it. I'm going to believe it. And you know what? Things happened, didn't they? And then something happened. You got familiar. And the honeymoon was over. And your heart was still attached, but it started to grow a little cool. A little cooler than it had been. And your life, 
the life that you said, oh, Lord, I give you my life. I'll, I don't care if I ever do this, this, that, whatever again, as long as I have you and I can experience you. Oh, God, you mean everything to me. Jesus, you are the reason for my life. I give it all to you. And then what happened? I'll do anything for you. I'll go to China for you. I'll go to Bangladesh, Pakistan. I'll go anywhere for you, Lord. Then what happens? The first love is not the first love anymore. And your life gets pulled back into things. And your life gets pulled back into problems. And your life gets pulled into all sorts of things that distract you. Charles Finney said if, if when I, he was preaching, if the people were looking at him, he said, uh, as I'm preaching, if the people keep looking at me, I know I failed. He said, when the people start looking down and the conviction comes on them, he says, then I know I'm succeeding. I want us to understand that the most important thing in life is keeping that relationship alive with God. Nothing else. We sing all sorts of songs on Sunday morning. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy. But in our heart we say, oh yeah, other things satisfy too because when I get out of here at church, then I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. That's my life. And what about a prayer meeting on Friday night? Well, I'd like to, but an hour and a half is just too long. I don't feel comfortable sitting here for an hour and a half. That really shows us, that's the gauge. If that's what you're saying in your heart, I'm not trying to bring, I'm not kind of point out fingers and, and condemn you, but if that's the gauge, you're, you're what's called a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian. You're not a Christian with a true heart and desire of the Lord. You've allowed the world to creep into your life. I can say from experience. I know what that's like. We're carnal Christians. Jesus didn't die for us to live a carnal life. He died to give us Life and life more abundantly. And the life comes from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit abiding in us. A devotion to Christ. And in these latter days, those people that are going to be cool-hearted, as Jesus said to the Laodicean church in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's outside the church. They're inside the church. They're saying, we're having a wonderful time. They're singing songs about him. We're praising the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord. He says, I'm outside the church knocking. I'm trying to get into your hearts. The church isn't about having a big church. Church is having a church of people that are mature, that love the Lord. I, I understand as you come into Christ, you know, there's the infant stage, the toddler stage, the teenage stage, and so on. But there's a place, if you're in that place, that you should be at this level, and you're still down here with the cares of the world, you're a carnal Christian. 
It's called as it is. You say, I'm not coming back to this church. You're a carnal church. That proves it. I'm just telling it as it is. All right. Jeremiah says, 29.13, that we are to seek him with our whole heart. Let's go there. 29.13. I think I have that correct. Verse 11. Let's start there. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare. And not that's not like being on the public dole welfare. That's not what he means. Good welfaring. <laughs> that you would fare well. And not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Do you know the God of heaven is waiting to hear your prayers to listen to you? Do you know what that is? You think you could get into the president's office if you uh, give him a call on the phone today? You think you could get into the office? I mean, there was a time you could. Abraham Lincoln, you could walk in there and talk to the president. But do you think you could today? You think you could get a, a, a audience with the pope? Or any other very important person in the world today? Just walk in and say, uh, hey, I'd like to have a couple words with you. You have a little problem with your car? Go see the CEO of the company? Not so easy. But you can with the creator of the universe. In fact, in Hebrews it said we can come confidently before him. If we're his children. Confidently before God. That's incredible. You and I can go confidently before God and catch his ear. Do we? Not enough. Not enough. So let's go back to Jeremiah. Then you will call upon me. And pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from the nations and from the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place where I sent you unto exile. He said we can pray and he will hear us. Now, we've been doing this series on, on prayer for months and a month and a half now. And I really don't feel like I'm really getting the importance of this across. I don't know. I just feels like it just, yeah, yeah. It's like people say, yeah, I, I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I should, I should. But Jesus said to us that we are to be, are to be encouraged. Didn't he say we are to be encouraged? And and not give up. Let's go to Luke now. Luke 18. Oh, the world has changed. 18.1 of Luke. 
Now he was telling them, Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Please, please, please don't lose heart in our prayers. And he told this parable that we've gone through a number of times. But down in verse 8, I'd like to pick it up there again. He says, I tell you that he who brings, he will bring about justice for them speedily, speaking of the parable. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? Will he find you to be faithful? Will he find me to be faithful? See, not only do I have the responsibility of myself keeping in line with God to be faithful with him, but I also have the responsibility of encouraging you to be faithful. And with that comes a, an anointing, it comes a gifting from God to give me the strength and hopefully the wisdom to not get you so offended that you shut off everything I say, but, uh, but to encourage you to be able to say, you know what? These are serious times. Hey, I can't just keep going on in life like I've been going on. No, 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 no. Serious times call for a different sort of people. It calls for a people that are tough. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Right, Aaron? God's looking for a people that will be not hard, but a tough people, a resilient people. A people that are not cowardly. A people that will move on with God no matter what. Last week we talked about the Benham brothers, remember? Remember the Benham brothers? They're my heroes. You know who they are? If you weren't here last week, the Benham brothers? Benham brothers were two real estate guys down in North Carolina, I think in Charlotte. And they, they were scheduled to be um, a show, a television show. were offered a television show by a certain television station. And a network. And so they were accepting it. And when they accepted this, of course, the politically correct did a search on them to find out what their stance is on marriage and on gays. Well, you know what? If you haven't noticed, but the litmus test for everything in America today is about sex. Have you noticed that? What does that tell us? We're living in very decadent times, isn't it? Everything is about sex. And so the litmus test is about gay sex, gay marriage. And so these fellas, they, they are very much in favor of real marriage. I don't even call it tradition. It's real marriage between a man and a woman, as God has ordained it to be. And they may have given some money from contributions, but it was discovered that they actually didn't believe in gay marriage. So what happened? The Nazis, the political Nazis, nixed their show. Then what? Well, I read the article from Billy Graham's magazine last week. Last, and, and what the, one of the brothers said, he said, hey, it, it lasted for five seconds. He said, it lasted for five seconds. He said, I just felt like a boxer. I dodged that punch, and I'm going back for the other one. And he said, I'm going after that bully. I'm going after that. Not the people, not the television station. I'm going after that bully. That paper tiger that is so intimidates the American people that we have to do what they say. 
we have to do what the politically correct people say or they'll try to make our life miserable. And us being Christians, you know, normally Christians are just typically nice people. We don't want to rock the boat. We want people like us and we want to be loved. We want to show the love of God everywhere. Well, there's another side to that. If we really want to be like Jesus and know what, what would Jesus do, Jesus was never passive. He always rocked the boat. He always. What else did he do? He offended people. They could not put him in their box. And I thank God there's people today that the devil will not be able to put in his box. Are you one of them? If you are, it's going to take a whole different mindset than what we've been living under. It's going to take a deep relationship with God. It's going to take a deep communion with God. Billy Graham's title of his decision magazines, Cowards Destined for the Lake of Fire. That's out of Revelation. You ought to read this. How many have read this? Nobody online? You haven't read it online? Michelle, you have? Yeah. I've posted it. We've posted it on our church webpage. I, I really encourage you, read it. Would you please? Our church Facebook page. You can go on that and you can read Franklin Graham's article. All right, let's move ahead here. So the times are changing. We need to be about the Father's business. Uh, prayer is so important. It's extremely important. In fact, we all want to see revival. We want to see a change. We want to see our nations saved once again, don't we? But it takes people that will give themselves to prayer. And I'd like to read a little bit. This is out of Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. And this is a little story about a man named Charles Nash. Oh, excuse me, not Charles Nash. Uh, I've forgotten his first name. Nash is his first name. Father Nash, they called him. He was actually an Anglican pastor. And Father Nash was Daniel Nash. There we go. He had a lackluster record as a pastor in upstate New York. He finally decided at the age of 48 to give himself totally to prayer. And he prayed for a man named Charles Finney. Have you heard of Charles Finney? He was one of the great revivalists of the 1800s, the mid-1800s. And Finney was a, a man, he, he preached in, in you know, places like Buffalo and all through North, upstate New York and all through New York, I think Boston, all, all New England places. And they would say when Finney preached, the power of God would come down oftentimes in his meetings and he would tell people to get out of the trees. I think that was Finney because when the power of God comes, bang, you're going to fall to the ground. So there was such an amazing power of uh, experiential power that people were uh, experiencing in these early revivals. It's just absolutely amazing. But what we find out is that Charles Finney had a secret weapon, and his name was Father Nash. Father Nash had an issue with his eyes, some type of infection, irritation, something for a number of years, and so he said, I am going to devote myself to prayer. So he would go to a city that Finney was going to, and he would go two, three weeks ahead of time, and he would pray. He would rent a little room in a boarding house. In one place, he found a cellar that he could use. He'd go down in that cellar to pray. Reminds me of an old song. And he would pray for days. 
weeks, he would invite local Christians, you know, a handful of people to come and pray with him. And he wouldn't oftentimes eat for days or drink much, and he'd be travailing for the city. He would be praying for that city, praying for the move of God on that city. Finney would come in, and they would have revival meetings, and the power of God would break out, and people would be saved by dozens and hundreds and thousands. I don't know how many were actually came to Christ through that. In fact, they call regions of upstate New York the burnt over land because it meant that Finney had just scorched the land. The Lord did through skin through Finney. What was the secret weapon? People had a passion. In this case, a man, a man they called Father Nash had a passion to pray. You see, our prayers are heard by God when we come to him with our whole heart. When we come to him in faith, and that's another thing we lose out on, we come to God and we just spew off a lot. There's no faith there. If there's no faith there, not much happens. But God is developing in our hearts a faith that we can call upon his name and he will hear. So I want to encourage you this morning. I know maybe it sounds like a heavy message, but I want to encourage you. This isn't playing church. This isn't just nice social time together. It's all of that of the social time. But it's this new season for us. Like it or not, it's upon us. And it's a time to seek the Lord. It's a time to be praying diligently for our families and our friends. It's a time to be praying diligently for our community. See, as Jesus said, my house, or excuse me, he said my house would be a house of prayer, but he said, the laborers are few. The harvest is white. Pray to the Lord for the laborers to be brought into the harvest. Before the laborers can be effective, we have to have the prayer, the intercessors. So this morning, we're going to close here in just a moment. But we've been meeting every Sunday here for a number of weeks, and we've broken up into little groups to pray. And I know that may be uncomfortable for a few people. It's okay. You don't have to be involved in a group. You can just sit there. That's fine. You can, you can just stand in your group. You don't have to pray. But if a few of you would like to get together in some groups, as we have been, and I would ask you to pray for two things today. If you would pray for God to raise up intercessors, and along with that labors, and if you would pray for Israel, as the Bible says, pray for the peace of Israel. Can we do that? All right? I know you may be a guest this morning. That may be, oh, gee, this is uncomfortable. But it's not always about what is comfortable. It's about what's the right thing to do. And afterwards, we have fellowship downstairs. But we also have prayer up front. So if you have personal prayer needs, you don't know Jesus or something's going on in your life, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, We'd be happy to pray with you and watch what God will do through those prayers. Okay? Could we do that? Just break up into a few groups just for a few moments and then we'll dismiss.